0: Good morning, I'm Drew Zolke, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Community Church, I get the privilege of pastoring our Columbia Heights location, welcome to you uh, if you are new to Hope or uh, just found this on your Facebook feed or a family member, maybe just a friend, someone from Hope, we're thankful that you're here with us today. It was important to us to have all of our locations together, our friends from Lower Town, Downtown, and Columbia Heights. We're gathered together this morning. It's important to be together at a time like this. Mourning the terrible death of George Floyd, our city on fire, the country crying out for justice and reconciliation. We're very aware this is a difficult time for all especially a difficult time for our brothers and sisters of color. What an extremely difficult day. So today we gather to do uh, a few things together. In our service today, we will cry out to God. We will turn to God and remember the hope that we have in the gospel. And we'll consider what can we do. What could be next for us? Our service will consist of times of our pastors sharing, and then prayer and worshiping through song together. After service, there'll be a time of prayer also for each location separately. At the end of the service, there'll be links that help you understand uh, or know where to go for your specific location, whether Lower Town, Downtown, or Columbia Heights, to to hop on a Zoom call and actually be able to pray and, and share together. I want to start our service with a, with a prayer that actually is a benediction, a prayer that usually is prayed at the end of a service to send people out. And I, I want to pray this, um, this has been a, a prayer that's been meaningful in my life, uh, a benediction to actually send us into this time of lament and gospel hope. And so if you'd pray with me, is a prayer of benediction uh, from Martin Luther King Jr. that he would pray over his church, and today I'm going to pray it as we enter in this time together. Lord, we thank you for your church founded upon your word that challenges us to do more than sing and pray, but to go out and work as though the very answer to our prayers depended on us and not on you. Help us to realize that humanity was created to shine like the stars and live on through all eternity. Keep us, we pray, in perfect peace. Help us to walk together, pray together, sing together and live together, until that day when all God's children will rejoice in one common band of humanity. In the reign of our Lord and our God, we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, Our our first thing we're gonna do together is to lament. Um, It might be a strange word to you. We don't often use the word lament. Um, You might have heard it a lot recently, um, but the word lament, uh, we see throughout all the scripture, in fact, uh, we see a lot of the psalms that we have been reading right now as we're in a series of psalms are psalms of lament. Um, you probably saw that the title to this uh, uh, day, this service together, uh, of a service of lament and gospel hope. And hopefully gospel hope is something familiar to you. We joked about how we have to have the word gospel in anything that we do. Um, and hope, right, that's our name. But also the hope that we have in, in Christ was lament. What is this? And it's really, really important and critical that we start with this. It's a word that simply means crying out. It can mean weeping, and scripture sometimes is translated as the word weeping. It's a time to, to say, God, uh, you can handle our words and our honesty. We can come near to you. Because we know one thing is true in scripture that we have a God who is close to those who are brokenhearted. In Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So we go to God because he is near to us, because our God actually comes close to us when we are brokenhearted, when we are crushed. We can cry out to this God and and we wanna do that together with Our brothers and sisters and we do that because we also are called in scripture to be people who rejoice with those who rejoice but also mourn with those who mourn as we see in Romans 12 so we know God is one who is near us who we can go to and we can cry out to in a time like this and we know uh, that we are called to not just do that alone but to mourn with one another and especially in a time like this to mourn with our brothers and sisters of color who have endured lifetimes and generations of what we're feeling, all of us are feeling. It's a time to endure with each other as we cry out, to scream to God together. It's a time to listen to those around us so we even know what to lament over, to cry out about over uh, together. It's a time that's important because it it causes us to be slow to fix things and quick to move towards God. It causes us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Ultimately, lamenting is an opportunity for us to rely and cry out to our God who has these things in his hands. We need him. We don't have this. This week I saw a, a a post on social media of a guy uh, taking a selfie of himself, uh, walking to a protest, and it said, I got this, bro, hashtag protest, had a bunch of other hashtags. And someone quickly responded to him and said, you don't got this, bro, if you're doing this alone. I thought, oh, that was perfect, right? You don't got this. And I think, not only alone, but I think without crying out to a God who does have this. And so um, I wanna encourage us uh, with a few things that have been uh, encouraging me in my lament, and then we're gonna lament together. Um, First, I I think I've learned how to lament uh, a lot through parenting. So at our house, um, about five years ago, we adopted our our two wonderful daughters. And so our household um, has two African-American daughters and and two uh, Caucasian parents. And so we've learned a lot about just parenting, but also what it looks like uh, for our daughter's experience and and for their experience as uh, black women and as they're growing up, how do we help them to be those women? And so we've learned to lament just as a parent uh, in, in moments when literally milk is spilled on our kitchen counter and someone begins to cry. And as a dad, I say, it's okay, I just spilled milk. And we I had to learn that you just have to cry when a Barbie's arm is torn off while playing and The world seems to end in that moment. I've learned I have to just sit and be with her and just cry in that moment. Fixing that Barbie doesn't fix that. It's a moment to just be with uh, and to cry out with. In a moment when uh, my daughter comes home because a kid at school was uh, making fun of her and she cries, I can't fix that. But in that moment, it's so important and critical to be with her and to cry with her and to cry out for what is wrong. And this week in our house, um, to, to sit with my daughter uh, and, and have to share again about a, a person of color, a, a black man named George Floyd being uh, murdered and, and her asking, do I have to worry about being killed one day because of the color of my skin? I, I, can't, uh, I can't fix that in that moment. So we just cry together. We cry out. I, I've learned in parenting to how much lament uh, is my only option uh, when we start these moments together? That I can't fix these things. I, even if I can fix them, uh, I need to stop and cry out. I pray that this is what we can do first today. Um, not be too quick to move to fix the Barbie's arm or to clean up the milk, but to stop and weep with one another. The other place that this has um, been shaped is in uh, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, uh, there's a moment where one of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus, has died, and his sisters have called for Jesus to come to help him. Jesus comes to them. Lazarus is already dead. Uh, And uh, there's a moment that happens between Mary, Lazarus' sister, whose brother has just died, and Jesus, and I want us to sit here for a moment before we pray. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping, lamenting. And the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. And then the verse that uh, many Christians have grown up memorizing, because it's one of the shortest in scripture, it just says, Jesus wept. In fact, Jesus lamented. There, that word, he laments. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Let's stop and see what, what's happening here real quick. Um, first, Jesus comes and sees other people lamenting the death of a brother, the, the pain they're feeling because their brother has died and it's not right. And we feel, we feel the effects of sin and death. And so they feel those effects and they're weeping, they're lamenting, they're crying out. They're troubled in their spirits. And Jesus comes close. He's moved himself. Our God, who who knew what was happening and knew what he was walking into, sees them lamenting and he himself is moved. And then Jesus' response is that he laments. He cries. Our God cries. And And one of the results of that is the people around him then know that he loved Lazarus. So what can we learn from Jesus here? We learn uh, that to stop and weep with those weeping is important. We learn that our lamenting actually, uh, with people actually shows our love to people around us. If we want to show people that we love and care for them, we lament with them. This is the part that that hits me. Jesus knows that he's about to, right after this, raise Lazarus from the dead. He could have said, Mary, stop, 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 stop. You don't know the facts. I'm about to raise him from the dead. It's good, it's good, stop, it's gonna be okay. Of all the people ever to exist, Jesus is the one who could say, I know exactly what's gonna happen, it's gonna be okay. Because I'm about to raise him from the dead but instead he stops to lament. I I don't have the option to say, I know what's gonna happen. I might like to feel like I wanna do something and move towards something and figure it out and fix it, but our God stopped to weep with these people, with these people he loves, and how important it is us to stop and weep and sit in sorrow. And lastly, I think... um, It's important for us to remember here in this story, if we're not careful, we put ourselves in the place of Jesus. I say, oh yeah, yeah, those people are suffering. They've had hundreds of years of suffering for their people, I can come in and weep with them and then I'll go and fix the situation. We can't forget that we are all the people of Mary's family and friends weeping And the only one that fixes this is Jesus. Let us not uh, begin to think we get to come and save everyone, but instead we get to weep with everyone, and right now we get to cry out to our God who's the one who raises people from the dead. He's the one who brings life into our communities. He's the one that turns death into life, brings peace and justice. Someone I'm going to ask us to take a moment to do this together before we sing. Um, remembering that lament is one of the uh, uh, moments that we're gonna stop in this morning, but it's not a moment that we graduate from. Lament is a continued uh, activity that we do all the time until one day Jesus will return and get rid of weeping and lamenting. But we get to continue to lament, continue to sit in this and feel the, the wrongness of this that would hopefully motivate us to move out and bring hope and justice and peace and the gospel to our friends. Uh, In a moment, we're gonna sing uh, a song, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. A few of the words in this uh, are important just to think about as we take a moment to pray here. The song starts with, Dear Refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise. Dear Refuge of my, my soul is weary. God, you are the refuge I can enter into i can go to for protection I, I can go to to cry out and a verse in this song that has uh, st- struck me hard, a lot this week oh may i ever find access to breathe my sorrows there we have a god who gives us access to himself that we can breathe our sorrows to him and that's what we're going to do now we're going to breathe our sorrows. To him. I encourage you, where you're at, to um, take a posture of humility. Whether that maybe is um, putting your hands out, or maybe you, uh, uh, kneeling next to your couch, or or you're sitting. Um, maybe if you're with family, uh, holding hands with one another, crying out together. I'm going to give us just a, a few seconds here to lament. Yourself, where you're out, cry out to God. What are you feeling and thinking? What is your heart, what's stirring in your heart? And I'm going to end us uh, as we go into a time of singing. So um, let's take a few seconds here just to lament where you are in, in your home, in, uh, in your car, wherever you are right now listening. Um, let us, I'll, I'll start us off and then I'll give that space for us. Let us lament together. Oh God. Why are things so broken? We need you. We need you. Lord, with all of your church, we cry out for justice. Make things right. For healing of broken hearts and neighborhoods and communities. I cry out for your peace. Lord, not just things to simmer down, but real peace in the hearts and lives of people, God, I cry out that you would give us courage. Courage I can't muster myself, but courage that you give give me. To fight for good things, your things. God, we need you. Oh, we need you. God, our hearts are weary. You are our refuge. Jesus, come, Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus who wept his people. Pray this in your name, Jesus.
1: Amen. Again, good morning. My name is Brian. I'm uh, uh, the pastor of our lower town location in St. Paul. Uh, I don't live in St. Paul, though. I actually live up in a quiet little neighborhood in Shoreview, pretty removed um, from everything that's been going on, Uh, comfortable. Uh, Yesterday, I was going on a walk uh, with my son. He's three, and I haven't had to talk to him about these things. He's three, right? Um... And I came across uh, some images in our alleyway. Uh, Images like this uh, that my neighbor had drawn on our alley. Talia with her dad, Jim. Just some sidewalk chalk and a large canvas. that she was able to Lament in her way to try to bring awareness as a senior in high school. My heart was uh, joyful in a sense of seeing the art that Talia did, the care that Talia has for George, and at the same time, my heart was very heavy knowing that this is what's on Talia's mind right now. She's a senior in high school. When I was a senior in high school, the only artwork I did, I remember taking my lawnmower and dropping it down and carving out a giant G in my front lawn for greatness for Green Bay. I was, I was worried about who the next Hall of Fame quarterback was going to be. I wasn't worried about murder. I wasn't worried about injustice. I wasn't worried about this. So Talia, if you're watching, Jim, thank you for making me explain to my three-year-old why black lives matter. Thank you for your compassion. And maybe your generation, maybe your generation will start to see change. Maybe it's your generation that will finally start to view all people as human. So thank you, Talia. I want to spend the rest of my time in prayer. Prayer of confession. This is something that I need to do individually. This is something that we need to do corporately as a church, as a people. And I'm going to confess my sin. And I would pray that you would do the same wherever you are. But then I'm going to pray for Jesus to fix this. I'm going to pray for his help. That he would intercede on our behalf to help us, to bring awareness, to open our eyes to the reality in the world, and to bring healing, to bring hope. So wherever you are, would you just bow your heads? Would you would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are our father. You're our dad. And as a father, there's nothing that I wouldn't do to help my children. And so God, we are crying out, Dad, help. Dad, would you forgive us that we have not loved you with our whole hearts, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, and this has been the message, message of Jesus for over 2,000 years, and we still don't have it right. Forgive us, Father, for not living out this command from your Son. Forgive us, Father, for we have not responded to the cries of the oppressed, nor their calls for help. Forgive us, Father, for we have allowed systemic sin to perpetuate inequalities to the detriment of people created in your image. Forgive us, Father, for we have not addressed the inherent biases that impact our perceptions of those of different ethnicities. Communally, Father, we turn back to you. We ask for your heart to be our heart, your love to be our love. We ask that when we come ashamed, our head down, embarrassed, that you as our Father would see us far off and you would run and meet us and embrace us. Father, we love you. Help us to love like you. And forgive us for our lovelessness. Father, I want to lift up the family of George Floyd. They're hurting, they're seeing the the world hurting. Would you comfort them in your love? We we, We pray for our African American community, our brothers and sisters. Let them see. Justice, your good justice rolled down on them. Let them see who you are as a just God and a just dad. We pray for all who feel, all, anybody who feels unheard, voiceless, powerless, let them be lifted up and heard and let them be believed when they're heard. We pray for your heart of equality and dignity and value for all people to be experienced in our day, now, in our cities. May your kingdom come and your will be done here, now, now, here, in this space, in our cities, that your will would be done now in this space, just as is your will, has free reign in heaven. Would that be done here as well? We pray for the church, our church, Hope Community Church, in Lower Town St. Paul, in Columbia Heights, in downtown Minneapolis. I pray that we would pick up the mantle to affirm in public spaces the divine image in every single person. Amen. To empower minority voices, to commit to engage for the long haul, help us on an individual level as well as corporate level to stand up for those who cannot stand up on their own. Oh, Father, oh, Dad, can there be mercy still for a sinner like me? Can you, God, me, the chief of sinners, spare? Lord, help us to repent. Help us now to lament. Help us us to deeply deplore our own racism and then weep. And then believe in the freedom that we have in Christ. And then sin no more. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.
2: My name is uh, Steve Treichler. For those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, I'm, I'm uh, uh, one of the pastoral staff. The, the senior and the, the founding pastor of Hope have been around uh, for a long time. And... Uh, I have received a lot. Uh, I, I've probably received more texts and emails uh, from friends, quite frankly, around the world. Uh, and 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 they're 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 asking me, "Are you okay?" And uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm not okay. But I am okay. Our 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 house is fine. Our we are physically safe but I'm not okay. I moved to Minneapolis in in 1983, uh, excuse me, uh, in the fall of 1982, and it will be 38 years uh, this September that I have had an address that has the first three digits 554. I've lived in the city of Minneapolis since that time, it's gonna be 38 years. I have a bit of a joke that I tell people, and that is that uh, I have a mistress. I'm proud of this fact. uh, And her name is Minneapolis. I have grown deeply in love with this city, these Twin Cities, over these 38 years. We started Hope Community Church in 1996, to be a blessing to the city, to, to help see God's kingdom come in a way that would make real change. And so, no, I'm not okay. This is exposing a significant brokenness in our city, in my mistress. One of my friends, I won't out you, a hopester, said that they were mourning with me about my mistress. um, And they said, uh, she's kind of a fixer-upper now. (laughs) And I texted back and said, yeah, definitely been through a bar fight, but she's a tough old bird. And But what I mean by that is not that I want her to return as she was. For those of you who maybe don't know me, uh, we, we live in the Longfellow neighborhood. Uh, 30 of those 38 years, uh, Carol and I and our boys, raised all three boys, uh, we live uh, on 37th Avenue, right off Lake Street. So I am 50 yards uh, from Lake Street. Last night, a 1,000 protesters uh, went 50 yards from our house on... Thursday, Friday. Excuse me. On Friday, uh, my son uh, John and uh, um, one of uh, another neighbor who goes to Hope, Peter Walls, uh, who also lives real close to Lake Street, we we helped my neighbor across the street, and we uh, built and installed these plywood uh, coverings for their windows. I, over the years, have gotten to know pretty well uh, four, three other owners of businesses in this area, and they're they're deeply broken, and they're deeply frightened, and they're deeply concerned of what is happening. The events that have unfolded in this last week have exposed something. That is, as I heard a gentleman speaking this morning, uh, it's like a a drop in the bucket. It just keeps dripping, it just keeps dripping, and then one day it just overflows, and that's what this is exposing. And it's exposing a significant problem. So I'm just gonna share some thoughts. Uh, Admittedly, I have not slept much in the last four days, so I hope this makes some sense. Uh, If nothing else, just hear my heart. (laughs) My heart. Um, These are just some passages of what I would say have given me hope and purpose as I have deeply wept, deeply wept for our city this week. The first one is a passage that uh, at Hope has been very foundational for us for many, many years. I'm thinking of what's our role in the city? How how are we a blessing to the city? It is from Jeremiah chapter 29, let me give you the context of this is God's, uh, had, he had a people that he had called unto himself and they were a nation, okay, we're no longer a nation, please do not hear that the new Israel is America, not a chance. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Israel was a nation and there was a point in time when they rebelled so much against God that God took their nation away and they were now spread all over the place and they were what's called in exile. They lived among the other nations. They were no longer a collected people and they cried out to God for this. And there were people saying, hey, it's gonna be over. Give it a week or give it a month, it'll be over. And Jeremiah 29, 29 is actually a, a counter to that. And I know Jeremiah 29, 11 is often quoted, and I'm not gonna say it's misquoted because I don't think it is, but in its context, it needs to be taken in its fullness. And it says this. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I've carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Why? Because you're staying there. This isn't gonna be a short thing. And now listen to this verse. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it proper, prospers, you too will prosper. Now, there, the people there were meant to be, those who wanted to follow God in this exile time, they were to seek the peace and prosperity, the, the human flourishing of the city they were in. Then it goes on to say, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to, do not listen to uh, uh, their dreams that they encourage you to have, them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. In other words, this is not going to be a big deal. It'll be gone in a minute. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Uh, excuse me, now I... And then he goes on, I cut this, I apologize, I have a typo here. But then he goes on to say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord in in verse 11. And and then he says, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to bring you among peace. That's in the context of staying in the city, of staying in it. So Hope Community Church, from this, I want you to know that that does carry over now. No longer is there a nation, a a political nation where those are the people of God. No, we're spread all over the place. We are, the New Testament even affirms this we are the exiles now. We live. In the cities, we're, we're people and we're of the cities and we are to help them be blessed and we're to love on people and want human flourishing as we try to show people more and more the love of God, who he is, what Jesus Christ has done for us. Not that we are any better at all. We are just one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. We are the exiles. We work and pray and play for our city's prosperity, and peace. We need to rebuild. But not just the buildings. We have a once in a lifetime opportunity to rebuild this city. And the church needs to be in the midst of it as people of purpose, love, and hope. We have that opportunity. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And here on the corner of 7th and 11 in downtown Minneapolis and in our places in Columbia Heights and in St. Paul, lower town uh, parts of St. Paul, we have a unique opportunity to be the people of hope. This week I've also been ministered to, just as Drew had mentioned, about Jesus' heart. And when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on the day when he, what we call Palm Sunday, and people were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this is going to be, this is like the coronation ceremony of the king. He's coming in, he's riding on a donkey. He's going to be the one who's gonna be the deliverer. And they thought from a political and Jesus had a whole different mission in mind and that was to release people from their spiritual bondage to sin and despair and to death and he's gonna come over and by, by Friday of that week he's gonna be crucified and on Sunday he's going to be raised again. And it says as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, so he comes in and there's the city before him, it says he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And that's our prayer for this city. As we weep over this city, oh God, oh God, let them see you. Oh God, let us see that there is justice, that there is peace, we pray. When Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus about... Nicodemus is a religious leader of the time, and and as he's speaking, and and Nicodemus is confused over who Jesus is. What is going on? You must be of God because of your miracles and whatever, but we can't quite figure it out. And they have have this unique conversation back and forth in John chapter 3. And uh, uh, finally, just Jesus uh, uh, lays it down and says this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So, also, the Son of Man must be lifted up, and that 's a reference to, to numbers twenty three where where there's a a situation where the people of Israel had grumbled against God while they were on, they had just left Egypt and they were in the process of trying to go to the promised land, and they had grumbled against God, and God had sent uh, uh, a poisonous snakes, and they they cried out to Moses saying, "Make them." poisonous snakes go away, and and Moses asked God to do that, and God said, here's the deal, I will do that, but it's a condition on it, and what I'm gonna do is is we're gonna put, uh, you're gonna put a big snake on a stick, and you're gonna hold that stick up, and anyone who travels after they've been bitten, they can travel, and if they just look at the snake, look at it, they'll be healed. Which makes no medical sense, right? None but it just trusts in the mighty power of God. And Jesus says, just as that Moses lift up that snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man may be lifted, will be lifted up, that everyone who believes or looks upon him will have eternal life in him. Just look at the Son and what he's done. Look, you and I have been bit, and I need help. And it makes no sense for me to look at a guy who's crucified on a cross until it makes all the sense in the world of what God did to us because of verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now, it's very important you understand the word world in the book of John and in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John where he uses that word. The word world there is not a positive thing. It's not like God created the world and that's a neat thing. The word world there means that part of us who are in rebellion against God. a Rebellion, we're shaking our fists. Just like the people that are getting bit by snakes, they're in rebellion against God. They're shaking their fist at him. And that's all of us. We are all, it's level ground before the cross of Jesus Christ. We are all those people and we have shaken our fists at God and in that, in that, God loves those who are shaking their fists even at him. So if you have in your heart this morning hatred and bitterness towards anyone, whether it be be someone of another race, whether it be the protesters or rioters or whether it be the police, if you have hatred in your heart and wish them evil, you're not understanding this verse. This verse says that all are that and we need God to make us not be in a position where we are in opposition to him and in opposition to one another. Now I'm going to be honest. I, I took about 50 pictures of my neighborhood, places I visited, owners that I've known, have rubbed shoulders with. I, I'm not going to show any of them of burned-out buildings, of people whose livelihoods have been lost. And as I was driving around yesterday, driving to a prayer event at the Kmart uh, on on Nickel and uh, Lake, I drove by a young young uh, white gentleman, all dressed in black, with a black face mask, who was running to his car, looking both ways, carrying a can of gasoline. I had two simultaneous reactions. One... So I wanted to physically harm that guy. And two, Christ says, love your enemies and pray for them. So I prayed for blessing in that man's life, regardless of what was going to happen in the next 24 hours. It's a man who's trying to burn down my city, trying to burn down my neighborhood. We're called to be that, church. We're called to be people of purpose, hope, and love. We're supposed to feel deeply the injustice, deeply the injustice of a man who on videos, life was taken away from him. Deeply feel that. But we even pray for that police officer. As angry as I am about that, we pray for him because it's level ground at the cross. Let me talk about the hope that we have in our God. Let me tell you about how this is gonna end. Let me tell you about who's in control here. And last night, if you were on the Zoom call, and about a hundred of you were or so, uh, we prayed for a miracle in our city. And God answered, to the best of my knowledge, it was not a single loss of human life last night. We prayed for that. Because we knew things might get ugly. And we prayed for that, and God answered that. We pray again that tonight. But let's talk about who's in control of this thing. In, 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 in Revelation 20, it talks about how... Satan is trying to do all this mischief at the very end of the days. And I'm not exactly sure how Revelation all plays out, but I know that there's this huge thing where it says this army is everywhere. It's like sand on the seashore and they they surround the city of God. And then it just says in half of a verse, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them all. That's who our God is. Let's not forget that. Do not, I, I am so grateful for the, the, the presence of the National Guard and others last night, yes, but let's not mistake what happened. Our God answered. And let's keep asking for that. But not just for peace, but for justice as well. That we would never come back on the, as a city, as a, as a state, and as a nation, we would never come back to just saying, oh, okay, we're business as usual. No. So where are we headed? Eventually our story ends the Christian, the one who puts their hope in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and for the fulfillment of all his promises to them, even eternal life. Where does this go for us? It goes to the end of the Bible and it says in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will be with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I'm making everything new, he said. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's where we're going. Are we ever gonna get there here? No. But scripture also says that right now, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And we are to act like that here because we are new creations and we therefore can be people who represent this for the peace and prosperity of our city. Revelation 22 says then, What is the kingdom? When the kingdom comes, there's peace among, peace and healing of the nations. That is coming one day in full. And today, we are called as the people of God to be that now, here. Is it gonna happen fully? No, I don't care. We are to be that as we represent what is to fully come. No longer will there be a curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. They will be no more night for they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun nor for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We are new creation now. We must be people of love purpose, and hope to a world that is filled with hatred, disillusionment, and despair. We must be that. So in the few minutes I have left, I would just like to pray that into our lives, that we would be that that we would decide today right where you're at is I am going to live for the glory of God. I am going to live in a way that wants peace and prosperity and love to reign. I am going to live in such a way that God, I want you to show me areas where I'm not living that way and I want to act that. I want when hatred rise up in my heart, oh God, I want you to heal that instead with your compassion because you did not respond with hatred towards us when we were bit by the by the snake, of, uh, the, the snake of, of sin. Instead, you provided Jesus Christ so we could look upon him. So I pray we would look upon him. Join me in prayer. God, we have nowhere else to turn but you. You're the only one that can fix this mess. So God, I, I, I honestly believe that there was a miracle last night and we witnessed that. God, we're gonna ask the God of the universe for even bigger now. We pray again for the safety of our city. I pray for way more than that. I pray for healing of our city. I pray that the healing of the nations that is one day to come in full would be felt here and people would bow down and say, oh God, you did that. Because there's no way, humanly speaking, it's gonna happen. Humanly speaking, we're gonna wanna respond like I wanted to respond to that rioter in anger and hatred and harm. But kingdomly speaking, we're going to brokenheartedly say, I am no better. I pray for you. I pray for blessing for you. So Lord God, would you do that for us? It's only going to come miraculously. So do it, just like you did last night. Do it again. You are a great father. You are a great dad. We pray for your hand upon many of us in our congregation tonight who are feeling marginalized, who are feeling put out because of their color of skin or for a variety of other reasons. Oh God, would we all know that we are all in this together, all of us. God, would you replace those areas in our hearts that are filled with hatred, disillusionment, and despair, would you make us people, just as our name says, of hope, purpose, and love? We ask this in Jesus' name,
3: amen. My name is Korsha I'm a pastor here at Hope Community. And I wanna answer the question, what can we do? What should we do? And I want to make sure that we don't start here with this question. I do want to make sure that we begin with lament and confession and prayer and the gospel, which is where we have been. And so don't just jump to this part of the conversation. But to the question, what can we do, perhaps no question has been asked of me more in the last several days, by friends, by family, by other churches. What can we do? What should we do? How can we help? And it is valuable to clean up. And it is important to share of resources and to give money. Those are good things. And yet, because of Christ, there are necessary, better things that we must pursue. There is a human desire to fix, a human desire to relieve pain. You on this live stream, and having watched the video of Mr. George Floyd in his death, you had a desire to intervene and to undo what was happening to him. That is a good desire. And yet we need to realize that there is no quick and easy fix. We got here over the course of 400 years. And so it is short-sighted on our part to think that we can get out of this in a day's time or a week's time. There are no quick or easy fixes, but we're not given to despair. But because of the gospel, because of the hope we have in Christ, we can take steps today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year to keep pursuing the cause of justice in our cities. Joe Saxton, a speaker and author, says this. When everyone is equal, but some are more equal than others, the implications are huge. Our nation speaks of freedom and of equality. That that we are born with inalienable rights of life and liberty the pursuit of happiness. And yet, given Saxton's quote, it appears that everyone is granted freedom, but some are granted more freedom. Everyone has the opportunity for life, and yet some are granted more opportunity for life than others. In response to this reality, the Bible declares in Amos chapter 5, verse 24, let justice roll on like a river, let righteousness roll like a never-failing stream. And yet we need to consider the context of these words. Five times in chapter 4 of this same book, it is said about God's people, yet you have not returned to the Lord Jesus, our Lord, says of his people, you have not returned to me. You are off doing your own thing. And the start of chapter five says, there are consequences to living away from me. There are implications to going your own way and doing your own thing. Justice is denied. Unfair business practices abound. Heavy taxes are placed upon the poor. A hatred develops within the culture for those who would uphold justice in the courts. Hatred is doled out to those who would stand for truth. So the the context in which this declaration is made is that God's people have not return to him and that has resulted in implications for the community in which they live and so when we talk about the injustices in our community we don't just have a justice problem we have a gospel problem let me say that again Amos Chapters four and five says, you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Injustice has come to your community as a result of that. So if if we're looking and seeing injustice, we don't just have a justice problem, we do. But we also have a gospel problem. We have a breakdown in our relationship with our God. And so we must hear the context surrounding this verse. And God says to his people, Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. To take that one step further, let justice or let Actions be taken to correct injustice. Let that roll like a river. Or in regard to righteousness or, or bringing relationships into right standing. Equity, bring, bring equity despite differences like a never failing stream. And we can only say that because this is what Jesus has done in our regard. It is the gospel being demonstrated here. It is Jesus correcting injustice, our injustice with God. Jesus enters in with his gospel and in his cross declares that justice has come and has been reckoned through his cross. We have been brought into right standing with our God despite massive differences because of our waywardness and sin. And so it is that the gospel is our heart. It is our foundation. Why? Because God has acted justly in the gospel. He has brought righteousness through the gospel. And so it begins with Jesus and his cross as the source, as the wellspring, as the fountain and foundation. And it necessarily Flows out into community. It necessarily leads to the church bringing about justice in our communities. We must never lose the gospel. We must never lose at the heart of the cross a message of forgiveness, mercy, yes, but also of truth and justice if we have a justice problem we have a gospel problem. An elder of Hope Community Church, Benji Matthews, who is a a chief of hospital medicine over at Regions, associate professor at the University of Minnesota, an elder here at Hope. By not going there, he says, by not taking decisive action, we risk perpetuating inequities. The gospel is the source it is the fountain and foundation it is the true light that allows the light of the church to shine into our world by not taking decisive action by not entering into our communities we risk perpetuating inequities jamar tisby who is a historian a writer a a speaker He is the president of The Witness, a black Christian collective, and also author of the book, The Color of Compromise. The truth about the American church's complicity in racism says this While activists have initiated remarkable progress when it comes to race in America, the struggle for black freedom continues. The reality is that racism remains. It is sometimes hidden in the walls and rafters of the nation's institutions, but even so, like an unkillable cockroach, racism still frequently scurries back into the light. No matter how many laws we pass, resolutions we write, or programs we implement, progress is not delicate. And we must always be ready to fight racism. as much as I am devastated by what has transpired the last several days regarding looting and arson along a stretch of Lake Street and other pockets of the Twin Cities, we must see these as byproducts of a lack of the gospel permeating our church and our communities a lack of gospel understanding in regard to race to permeate our cities and our nation, a lack of compassion and justice to be felt in the families, communities, in the businesses, in the governmental places of our cities. I don't like looting, nor do I like arson, And yet these have not been the problem of our nation over the last 400 years. Racial injustice, that's been there all along and we need to address it. And so in taking the lead from Jamar Tisby, I wanna put forward three things for us to consider. Awareness, relationships, and commitment. ARC, if you remember the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How can we as the church come alongside the efforts of so many to see that arc bend towards justice more quickly, more closely? Jamar teaches us, in regard to awareness, in order to fight racism, we have to equip ourselves with information about the way racism works both now and in the past. What do you know, church? What do you know beyond the headlines and the stereotypes regarding the lived experiences of the African American community and other racial minority experiences in the U.S.? How might you and I not shrink back from the discomfort, from the same visceral emotions experienced when we watched the video of the killing of Mr. Floyd, but press into that discomfort so as to better understand the almost daily feelings of so many persons of color. How might you use your voice to amplify the voices of others? It is incumbent upon the church to educate ourselves, to learn, to diversify the experiences, and the stories, to be educated from others who have lived experiences very different than ourselves. In tomorrow's Monday Musings, I will share a host of high-quality resources, podcasts, articles, books, that you can use to increase your awareness because what we hope to have happen is what Liz Bohannon has set out. She says, each of us must walk through the stages of learning to move from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence, to conscious competence, to unconscious competence. It's cyclical, not stairs. Now let me make clear that we're understanding these four pieces here. Unconscious incompetence. I don't even know that there's a problem. I don't see it, I'm not aware of it. And I hope over the stages of this last week, if that's where you started out this week, you're no longer there, but you are consciously incompetent. You recognize there's a problem, you just don't know what to do. You are aware something needs to happen, but you lack the competence, the awareness to know what steps can be taken. And so with effort, with reading, with listening, with learning, you will be consciously competent. You work hard, but you're growing in your understanding of these things. And maybe with enough time, with enough effort, some of these things will start to land and resonate deep within you. So much so that you are a trusted ally In this fight, you become unconsciously competent. It's just part of who you are. You can't not be a person of justice and of compassion and of love. Secondly, relationships. Jamar Tisby makes clear the problem is we live segregated lives. In order to make peace with a person or a group, they, we, have to become real. They have to become real to us through communication and shared experiences. Those who we see as different, as other, are we in proximity? Are we in relationship? Do we know their words and their stories? If you have friends of a different race currently, have you reached out to them? Have you inquired as to how they are doing? Have you invited them to process the events of the last days with you? At my bank, it happens to be that I seem to always get the same African-American female as the teller when I come up to the bank and I happen to see her couple days ago, and I said, how are you doing with all this? I don't know if she wants to talk about it. She's working. (laughs) But she said, I just don't even know. How are you doing? And she said, "I, I don't even know how I'm doing. So much to take in, so much to process. And so, are we entering into the lives of others? If you don't have friends of a different race, how might you seek to get to know another? To bridge that divide, that gap in understanding of what they're going through. Be a kindergartner, walk across the playground, ask them, can we be friends? And after they get over the initial shock and awkwardness, they might say, maybe, let's get to know one another a little bit. But the call for relationships is no less clear or important. For friends, for coworkers, for neighbors, how can we be a shield to them, a friend to them as they face mistreatment and discrimination, whether personally or in systemic ways, Will we trust them? Will we stand with them? Will we become trustworthy allies? Prophet Idowu, who is a, a member here at Hope, he asks a very clarifying question in regard to relationships. He says, consider the 10 most influential voices in your life. Write their names down. And once you do, consider how diverse their backgrounds, how diverse are their stories. Perhaps it's time to include one or two more diverse stories and perspectives to your list of relationships. Commitment. It is not an occasional activity, but a daily disposition, says Tisby. Dismantling racist structures does not happen by being nice to people of a different race or ethnicity. Transformation takes place when we undermine the foundations foundations embedded in systems, institutions, and policies that perpetuate racial superiority or inferiority. Such actions require a lifelong commitment to opposing racism in all its forms." Clean up our cities. Give money to those organizations that are doing so. And yet, don't let that one action be the extent of your commitment in this area. Don't just clean up and move on. George Floyd said, I can't breathe. Friends, for persons of color, That is not just one man saying this at one time. This is the call of a people who are saying, we can't breathe. We can't breathe. And therefore, we, the church, need to be committed to them to call alongside them, let them breathe. To be committed to helping them breathe. Do not try to comfort yourself so as to lose the visceral feelings you felt Monday night or Tuesday morning when you saw that video. Don't so quickly comfort yourself. Insulate yourself from the visceral response you had when you saw nine minutes of George Floyd being unable to breathe. That is the call of a people for 400 years. Don't so quickly move on. The ability to move on, to comfort ourselves from this feeling, from this discomfort, to gloss over it after a week's time. That is a privilege available to you because of the color of your skin. But it is not a privilege available to the Christian. Your identity as a follower of Christ demands that you do not insulate yourself from the feelings of our brothers and sisters of color. Let me share two perspectives as I bring this time to a close, bring this service to a close. One regarding the corporate experience and one very personal from my friend Prophet. First, from James Jimmy McGee III, president and CEO of the Impact Movement. He says, there is a collective trauma building up in this population. Generation Z, on the whole, sees ethnicity as something to be celebrated. Praise God. Gen Zers, like millennials, don't care much what's said in church on Sunday morning if they don't see it walk over that chasm into Monday through Saturday. They want to see the impact of faith and identity apart from a Sunday morning experience. If they don't see transformation in society, they're going to question the reality of what we say we believe. And let me share some words from Prophet, a member here of Hope Community Church. He shared in a talk back in 2016 a keynote at the ninth Annual University of Minnesota Equity and Diversity Breakfast. And as much as I would want these words to be outdated, after several years of time, they are just as apt, sadly, in our day as they were back then. He asked the question, would you be courageous enough to look at a life through their eyes through the eyes of others if given the opportunity. If the person in the position of power took an opportunity and chance to set aside his or her feelings or perceived bias, they would find more than just a colored face painted with inaccurate thoughts. They would find a young man or young woman looking to make something of himself or herself and their families. As a person of color, I share in this struggle, a struggle to overcome, the struggle for equality ever present at this discussion of diversity inclusion, present at workplaces, communities, churches, businesses, government, all around our country. What it means to be a man of color and the importance of equity and diversity amongst the social and political tensions in our day is to play an active role in rewriting the African-American narrative within the United States, showing that people of color are not just media headlines serving as the next Michael Brown, Sandra Bland, Philano Castile, or George Floyd, but future PhDs, lawyers, political leaders, and business executives shaping the culture and the world. He says, rewriting the African-American narrative. One response is to say, prophet, I'd love to read that story someday. I think a better response might be, how can I? How can we, how can Hope Community Church serve you? How can we love you? How can we help you as you rewrite this story Can I sit with you? Can I walk with you? How can I be a part of amplifying your voice and amplifying your story so that our city, our communities, our state, our nation might hear the beauty being written in your story, the gospel being lived out in your story, the cause and mantle of justice being picked up and walked with in your story. Hope Community Church, it is a tall task, a noble task, a worthy task, a gospel task. May we be burdened with the gospel. May we live out the gospel in our Twin Cities for the glory of Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit and the blessing of our communities. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. There will be more in the days to come. We love you. Be safe. Trust in the gospel. Be lights in our community. Amen. We'll see you soon.